Some men are born in the wrong century. I think I was born on the wrong continent. <laughs> oh, by the way, you're fired. ain't Dodge City. And you ain't Bill Hickok. Mates and welcome to Not a Bomb Podcast. Crikey. <laughs> Crikey. What the fuck? <laughs> For all you Sheilas and blokes who've never listened to the podcast before. You know we have people in Australia that listen who are now just never gonna listen again. What what's the problem, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can think of one thing. What's that? Your accent is a little bit uh, uh spot little on, off. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. it's spot on. Uh, we're not doing comic book movies anymore. We're, we're, we're talking Westerns specifically in a Western that takes place in the grand old outback. And I'm not talking the steakhouse either. <laughs> so yeah. a blooming onion is probably the best thing in the entire world. Is that, is that really an Australian dish? A blooming I don't onion? care. I don't care. The blooming onion is amazing. Oh. And it's got like 3,500 calories too. Yeah. In, fa- in fairness, it's about as Australian as your accent right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The blooming onion is more Australian than your accent. Look, I blame the fact that half of my face, I can't feel because I had, you know, a filling fix. <laughs> I can't even say F words. <laughs> This is going to be a train wreck of a podcast. I can't feel half my face. And uh, certain letters are really hard to pronounce right now. But you know what? This will make for some, I don't know, epic auditory uh, podcasting. So, what, Brad, no more comic book movies. What are we talking about tonight? We are talking about, um, I think this is your pick. Oh, it is yeah. Quigley Down Under. From 1990. From 1990. Have we talked about a Western before on the show? I don't think so. I yeah, I no, I don't. I think this might be our first Western. It, it, we couldn't we couldn't do a Western without our, our good friend Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. How you Congratulations, doing? Congratulations, Sammy. Sammy. You all your you punched all the holes in your card, you get a free sandwich now. And not a bomb sandwich. I promised my son I would say this. Hello there. <laughs> my little Obi-Wan tribute. Hello there. Yeah. Nice. Uh <laughs> No, I, I, w- I love Westerns. I don't know about you guys. Um, I know, Brad, we've talked about the connection between the Western and the Samurai film. Absolutely, yeah. But, and, and I lean more towards Samurai movie. I, my dad, I, I still, I, I ask him this all the time because he's a blue-collar American. Mm-hmm. And he really isn't into Westerns that much. We watch Samurai movies. like, and, and I still, to this day, don't understand how we got into that. But um, so I don't have any nostalgia when it comes to to Westerns. Now, 
I have gone back and watched quite a few because I, I think the Western is considered the great American film genre. Is it um, is it a genre that you went to seek out on your own? So it wasn't kind of passed on to you from your father then? Yeah, I think I I think I felt more like I needed to okay. because there's just so it's so American and it's so important. Um, I mean, Eastwood is is a staple now. And you go back and, and you look at the stuff that he did. And I mean, he basically carried the Western through for a long time, um, you know, and then Tarantino is a big, you know, Leone fan. So I, I went back and, and did those. So, you know, the Western plays such an influence on films today. Uh, people might not really know that as much, but a, a lot of filmmakers today grew up watching Westerns, listening to Westerns on the radio, uh, watching Westerns on TV. So they play a huge um, kind of influence on today's filmmakers and some of the ones that I, I like the most like Tarantino. Okay. What about you, Sammy? Is it, is it something that you discovered on your own or was it passed on to you through? I feel, I feel like a lot of people get introduced to Westerns, especially guys through their, their relationship with their dad. Was that, is that how you came to it? Or was it something like Brad, you just sought out on your own? Yeah, not really my dad. My dad was mostly into um, Clint Eastwood movies because he just kind of liked, you know, the tough guy Western, which is kind of what Clint Eastwood was doing in the 70s and early 80s, you know, Pell Rider and Outlaw Josie Wales and stuff like that. He really loved it when the uh, axe handle fight broke out in uh, Pell Rider, I think it was. Maybe it was. I can't remember which one. That was Pell Rider. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, He grew up watching Westerns with his dad, and I don't think it passed on to him as much. Uh, But his dad, my grandfather, (laughs) kind of shoved him down my throat along with Western television shows. Kind of of the same stuff that Tarantino kind of talked about in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, the... My grandfather's a big fan of Wanted Dead or Alive, the Steve McQueen Western show, and The Rifleman, and Bonanza, obviously, and all these shows. The uh, What's the one that was on the air forever? Bonanza was on for a long time, but there's another one. that Gunsmoke? Big Country, Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke. Yeah, Gunsmoke, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, he uh, he loved all that stuff, but it had to be a Western for my grandfather. He would not watch anything else. He was very much one-dimensional in that way. When he was a kid, he would tell me these great stories of having a couple of pennies or something and going to the matinee to get into the air conditioning. Cause back then nobody had air conditioning in their house, especially down here in the South. We just opened the windows. So he would go into the movie. He would get a couple of pennies together. And this was back when it was harder to find pennies on the ground than it is now. And uh, he would go to the movies and they would watch, you know, two or three films just to stay in the air conditioning all day and then come out at dusk and, you know, play the rest of the afternoon in the ex- obsessive heat or the, the uh, oppressive heat, not obsessive, but um, he would tell me these great stories about this. And he would tell me about Tom Mix and John Wayne and, and all this stuff. And when I was a kid, I was like, this stuff is, it really doesn't mean anything to me. I didn't really appreciate it. But as I became a film lover, the legend part of the Western really kind of captured me. And I would be, I, I mean, you asked me 25, 30 years ago, if I like Westerns, I'd say, yeah, I like Westerns. You ask me now, and I tell you that I love Westerns because the storytelling is so uniquely American and so uniquely, it's so uniquely hero's journey that just about everything we love in some way is, in, is influenced by the Western. And even the samurai films, I mean, that goes back and forth. That I, I love the samurai films. I don't know if you figured that out or not, <laughs> but 
you know, th those things go back and forth with each other and really they lend to each other all these great attributes, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, Kurosawa is really responsible in a lot of ways for the maybe one of the most popular Western stories of all time, which is The Stranger Rides Into Town and, and um, you know, things ensue, right? Yep. Leone took a, took a hold of that and changed the dynamic and then other people came along and changed the dynamic. And some of our favorite filmmakers, Walter Hill, Quentin Tarantino, Clint Eastwood, John Carpenter, John Carpenter. Yeah. yeah. Who's never made a traditional Western, but if you look at his movies, most of them are Westerns. He's done commentary for, for Western films. Yeah. 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 But I mean, his films are Westerns. Oh I mean, yeah. Salt on precinct 13 is definitely, you know, a Western. It's, it's a Western escape from New York's a Western. Mm -hmm. uh, I probably don't. I mean, some of the, some of them aren't, I don't think Halloween's a Western, but we could probably work on that and try to figure out a way <laughs> to make it a Western. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I grew up loving them, I, I liking them. I should say I really like the TV shows more because they were kind of in and out. But as I've gotten older, and even when I started podcasting, it's the one genre I was trying to really push on people because it is seen as the, in some ways, I'm getting a little political here, but it's kind of seen as the white man's genre mm -hmm. or the older white man film. Mm -hmm. And I and I understand that because it was dominated by that for a long time. But I think there's a lot of important story beats in there too, that uh, that lend to American myth making. So <clears throat> I think it's more than just the 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 whitewashing of America. Yeah, I I fought it hard. My dad tried to push westerns on me for most of my life, and I hated it. Uh, and I, I don't think it was a it was around high school that I he I finally sat down to watch watch one, and it was always those. Hey, I want to show you this one. Like you're gonna like one of these. Never did. <laughs> and, and and finally one hit like one stuck and i'm like hey that was really good you have any more like that one uh and and for whatever reason it was in my high school days i started to appreciate them more and more and in college it just became one of those things that i was kind of seeking out and trying to find every western that um you know was available on vhs at that time but i've really come to just love that genre uh some of my favorite movies of all time are Westerns, which is crazy to me considering that, you know, I growing up, it was ninja movies and everything else. I mean, that, that was my thing, uh, which, and, which are kind of like Westerns. They are. I mean, anybody's kicking each other in the face. Great. You get to a Western. Yeah. I'm like, Oh God, really dad? Seriously? Come on. <laughs> yeah. That poster behind you there <laughs> yeah. on your right is definitely a, a Western enter influence. the ninja. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought, I thought it'd be fun before we talk about, um, tonight's, uh, film, just share some of our favorite Westerns or if you have a different take on maybe your top three Westerns. So I'm, I'm just going to list off like my three favorite Westerns or the ones that I'm trying to force on my kids right now. Um, and, uh, like, like the three, that, well, let me, wait, hold up. We'll stop there. Yeah. Do the kids like Westerns at all? We're going to talk about a film. And, uh, I, I think my kids have the same reaction that I did. And, um, when, when I share my list, one of my films, I think, became the one where my son was like, oh, I, I didn't know Westerns were like that. I, I want to see that. So right, right. Uh, yeah, my son is not interested yet. Yeah, it, it'll it's always something right. It'll take that one and it resonates with you some way. But yeah. I'm going to start with you, Sammy. Um, did you, how did you come to your list? Did you just go for your top three or did you like specialize in some way? I did specialize in some way. Uh, it sounds like we are talking about this off the cuff, but we already talked about this. But <laughs> either way, um, those of you who know me, I've been podcasting for 14 years. So if you've been listening to me for, for almost 14 years, 
you know that I love Westerns. So I could have named my favorite Westerns of all time. And they, they really never change. It's uh, for a few dollars more, the, the man who shot Liberty Valance and Once Upon a Time in the West. It's really, you know, Sergio Leone owns my top three. Uh, he always has. He he gets it right more than even American filmmakers do. And I can name a thousand Westerns that I love. I mean, we could if, if you got all night, I could sit here all night and just kind of run them off. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. I decided to take the approach of kind of 1990 and forward. Because in the last 30 years or so, there's been some interesting Westerns made uh, outside of Unforgiven, which is a great film. We've already talked about how great that is when we talked about Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mention that one because, again, it's one of my favorites. But that that one's great for a lot of the same reasons. It's kind of like a darker Liberty Valance story in a way. And um, it's it's great for legend and myth-making. And, and in a lot of ways, maybe uh, some could argue maybe the perfect Western in some ways. Um but I decided to take a different approach. I decided to take some underseen films from the nineties. One, I think I know at least Troy has seen, I bet Brad may have seen it. I don't know yet. One is not American and it's one of the most gonzo crazy Westerns ever made. So I'm kind of hoping, you know, people, if they haven't seen this movie, that they go back and watch these movies, these three in particular. So do you want me to yeah, start? Let's start with your number three? We'll, we'll do round Robin here. All right. My number three is, the other Kevin Costner Western, which is Open Range. Yeah. Robert so, Duvall, right? Yeah. So Robert, uh, Robert, so Robert Range is uh, <laughs> Open Range is very much a traditional Western. Dances with Wolves was an epic, and, and I appreciate it in some ways. I know Brad's got opinions. Mm. We've talked about it in the past. Hey, it rightly won that Academy Award. There was you not a film out there out. that was even better than Dances with Wolves. Here we go again. Let me go back and do my Obi-Wan kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. Um, <laughs> the, uh, this is, in case you guys are wondering, this conversation has come up in, in person, uh, in podcasting, and in text. It comes up often. It seems comes like. up almost daily. <laughs> yeah. But the um, what I love about open range is it's a traditional Western. It's really slow paced. It's really about the wide open vistas and it's really a standard Western story. But then it takes a turn toward the back end and it has arguably one of the great movie Western shootouts. Yes. Of all time. And a moment that I think rivals uh, William Holden saying, you know, or whatever they say in Wild Bunch, they say, let's go, or they, they say anything. They say something to each other. I can never remember what it is. Oh, before they walk down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It's let's go. Yeah. Let's go, which is the Wild Bunch moment. Right. So, and um, this one has a moment. I don't want to give it away, but <laughs> I'll just say that Costner just kind of walks up and things just kind of kick off. And you're kind of like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> and it's just like, this crazy shootout in the middle of this kind of mosaic kind of pastoral kind of beautiful Western that he has shot. This film to me feels like the love letter to Westerns he wanted to make. And he made dances with wolves first. Nothing wrong with that. It Uh got him his Oscar guaranteed him work for life. But this film feels like the Western he always wanted to make. And I think it's, I still think it's terribly underseen and I think people should definitely check it out. I agree. I, I love that film. Um, it, does the one thing of when you get an ending like that, what I've always appreciated about that film is it's an earned ending. There is so much tension that is going on and it's got a release. And I don't know. It's so exciting. Like I, 
if anybody had told me that film was a slow burn or a crawl, I, I don't think so. I actually think there's a lot of stuff going on and every so often that tension gets ratcheted up and it, it can only end in one way. And that's what I loved about it. And I yeah. think it did really well at the box office. It had a $22 million budget and it ended up uh, making like uh, $68 million when all is seven done. Isn't it crazy? It only cost $22 million to make that movie. You wouldn't think so. That thing is gorgeous, man. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's like, it's like a huge epic. Yeah. And I remember that for whatever reason, I think he had made, well, I think he had made water world before that maybe. Yes. Remember, mm-hmm. but he was becoming non-bankable. Yeah. So, that's after like the postman and water worlds. Yeah. Yeah, well, we kind of talked about that a little bit, right? So yeah, he sneaks out with this one, and yeah, it's a hit. But no, but yeah, people saw it, but nobody ever really talks about it. It's very strange. Yeah, I that's one that I wouldn't be surprised for, like, uh, just something like Criterion to pick up and really do a retrospective on. I would love that. I mean, that thing deserves some love in terms of a physical format. Yeah, it really. You guys know the blowouts getting a 4K release? What? Shut the front door. Really. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard about that. You know, it, if I'm so Brian, excited, one side of my mouth is numb. Yeah. I hope Brian De Palma is overseeing the restoration on that. I think he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, Brad, what's, uh, what's your number three? Yeah. So again, mine are contemporary because those are the ones that I've probably know the most. Um, so I went with 2016's, they call it a Neo Western um, by David McKenzie. It is hell or high water. Oh, um, yeah. with okay. um, Chris Penn, Ben Foster. Yeah. Hey guys, guess what? Ben Foster plays someone who's a little bit crazy in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jeff Bridges plays someone who mumbles the whole time. That's a stretch. Um, yeah, I know. I know. But um, speaking of shootouts, that's a great shootout at the end on the Hills there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I it kind of combines another thing that I like is with is bank heist. So I, it's a bank heist like Western. So I, I really like it. Um, I think it was pretty well, I think it was nominated for best picture um, at the Oscars, best supporting actor. I mean, it, it got all of its accolades. So I really, really like that movie a lot. Yeah. No, it qualifies. It's definitely a Western. It's, um, it's a good it's example of how the Western yeah. genre seeps into other genres too. Mm-hmm. So yep. easily. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, we can talk about that as we kind of talk here and stuff. But if you think about it, a lot of films people really loved, like I always argued that The Devil's Rejects is a Western. And um, Okay, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It even has a Wild Bunch-esque type standoff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, you can take that element and put it into everything, like stuff like Brokeback Mountain and things like that. Now, those things aren't on my list, but because I love Westerns so much, you're going to hear me gush about all these films. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. Uh, my list is very traditional. Uh, and, and again, it goes back to what I consider the movie. I know of at least one movie that's on your list. I, I, yeah. I, everybody yeah. knows one, uh, but this list is the ones that I'm trying to get angel and Cameron to sit down and go, you have to watch these and you have to love them. If you don't love them, you're cut out of the wheel. You know? <laughs> um, so I'm gonna start with the first one. This was the Western I was talking about where my dad was cramming Western after Western TV shows, all of it. And I'm like, Nope, Nope. <laughs> There's no ninjas in that. Nope. Nobody got kicked in the face. Nope. Uh, not interested. Right. But I, I finally sit down for this one and it was a Saturday afternoon. He's like, we're going to watch this one. I know you're not going to like it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just get this over with so we can watch enter the ninja for like the 80th time. So it's a, it's a little film from 1966 and it stars, uh, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, 
James Kahn, Arthur Honeycutt, R.G. Armstrong, Edward Asner, and Charlene Holt. It's directed by Howard Hawks. And actually, this is kind of the second time he's made this film. This version is a loose remake of a 1959 film that Howard Hawks did called Rio Bravo. Uh-huh. And this is the Western that got me hooked. Like, hey, I really enjoy this. This is kind of fun. I love the setup. And it really made me a fan of John Wayne. And I was like, well, who's this Robert Mitchum guy? And so that put me down that rabbit hole. But it's none other than 1966's El Dorado. Yeah. I love this film. Like, love this film. I know a lot of people might pick Rio Bravo over this one. But I think it's the combination of John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, and James Caan, um, and even Arthur Honeycutt. I mean, those those four trying to survive through the night and um, you know make it uh, th- while holding this this guy in a jail cell while you know the the gang is gonna bust him out. It's so much fun, and I think it's it's a great introduction to a western that has like the comedy elements, the action. Uh, it's got some good suspense to it, but. John Wayne and Robert Mitchum just going at it for the entire film with sort of Arthur Honeycutt in the background, putting his ears. It, it, I love it. I love the dialogue. I love everything about this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a classic. I mean, it's hard to argue. The only thing I think uh, I always kind of joke about that movie is James Conn's hat. Yeah. <laughs> kind of makes me laugh a little bit. And, and I James love Conn just seems like the, the, last actor you would cast in a Western in some ways. Yes. And that's I what makes that. it. Cause he, he can't yeah. shoot. So they give him that sawed off shotgun, which he still can't hit anything with, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is a running joke through the whole thing. And, uh, that, that's the fun element to it. I uh, mean, uh, that's the good stuff that they know what they got there. And you can just imagine James Conn and John Wayne on the set. John Wayne always, he, he didn't suffer the young actors too much. So I can only imagine <laughs> James Conn's probably got some great John Wayne stories. Oh, I bet. <laughs> All right, what's uh, what's your number two, Sammy? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna my one and two here could go back and forth, but uh, I'm just gonna. I mean, I love all three of these films. I've already talked about Open Range. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the Good, the Bad, the Weird. Oh yes. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Don Lee's in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Good, the Bad, the Weird is more of a. It is a western, and definitely. Um, heavily influenced Korean film. Um, but it, it's, it's more about the archetypes and the history of the Western in particular, the spaghetti Western in a lot of ways. And it's kind of told through this Korean filter and the amazing filmmaking of Kim Ji Woon. And I can't think of a better time I had in the movies, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago than watching that movie. Talk about a movie that pays homage to everything you love about a genre. And, it kind of is hitting you over the head with it, but not completely. And then you got Kim Ji Woon's amazing camera work. And there's shots in that movie that I still don't know how they pulled off. Like it's, I still don't know how yeah. they pulled off. Let me and there's a. Wow. She said it was worth it to be on the recording to scare me. Yeah. I hope you shit your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Landon. <laughs> Sorry, you got to hear that. <laughs> anyway, we'll edit all that out. <laughs> Maybe. I don't scaring. know. I may just yeah. leave that in. They love scaring. They know I'm a jumpy person. They love scaring me to death. All of them do. All of them do it. Yep. I was almost asleep the other night. And jumped, <laughs> jumped on my stomach. I was like, what are you doing? Anyway, 
get back to it. There's some shots I don't know how they pulled off. I really don't. There's some dynamics to the story that are way out there, but I love that it's kind of Kim Ji Woon kind of putting his influence into the Western. It's very much the uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, instead, it's the good, the bad, the weird. But it is a lot of fun, and honestly, I think one of the best films of the last twenty years. There's a Easily. yeah, there's a sequence in the middle with that diver suit helmet that yeah. is just fantastic. I mean, yeah. it it is a great action sequence, but how they incorporate they incorporate that into um, the shootout is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's an amazing movie. Uh, you kind of know how it's going to play out, but it's not about the story elements as much as it's about the style. Yeah, it's not. It, it kind of reminded me more of. It reminds me of the good, bad, the ugly, but it reminds me in a lot of ways of Once Upon a Time in the West too, where it's about the mythos of the Western as much as it's about anything, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I love about it. It's uh, it's just a it's a bonkers movie too. I mean, it's endlessly entertaining. Like I can't wait to show that to Lynn someday. I agree. It's so it's so much fun. I agree. Yeah, was Don Lee in that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he he's not like a major star or something, but I believe that is what. What year was that film? Do you 08. remember? Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, oh, eight or. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a bit in that. He might. You know, he was a working actor. Um, for those who don't know, we can get some. Yes, Don Lee. he was Bear. That was his character's name in The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. I think I remember him. I might yeah. go back and look. But yep. Yeah, I've been watching Don Lee movies today and <clears throat> loving every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, okay, that's a whole other show <laughs> right there. All right, Brad, you're number two. Yeah, so Sammy already brought this one up. It's arguably the most perfect Western of all time. It got Clint Eastwood his Oscar for Best Director. Um, It essentially, I I don't know. It it was the Western that pretty much got me into Westerns. It is 1992's Unforgiven. Um, I always wondered why Quick Mike's name is Quick Mike. Because he's got a small dick, I know that. But is he also a minute man? <laughs> we'll never know. So, uh, yeah, man. I, I, what do you say about Unforgiven? Um, arguably, it's to me, it's the perfect western. Yeah, you're never going to get a cast like that again to do a western. Um, yeah, it's perfect on pretty much every level. And I mean, it's edited well. Obviously, it's directed well. It's acted well. Uh, the music is amazing. Um, yeah. What's amazing about that movie is I still love the story behind it that Eastwood had it for like 20 years and he held on to it waiting until he got older because he knew he had something. Yeah, like he could be 76 older. or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. he had walked away from Westerns for a long time, if you remember. Yeah. And uh, he was just doing cop movies and Clint Eastwood movies, things like The Rookie, which is kind of crazy. Pink Cadillac, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, The Rookie's good. <laughs> Pink Cadillac <laughs> is a train wreck. Yeah, it is. But I mean, it is as close to perfect a Western as there is because it has those moments where Eastwood is talking about being a Western character. And it's almost like all those years of Clint Eastwood being this badass character, it's all come to fruition for him to take that first sip of whiskey and talk about, uh, it ain't no fun killing a man. Uh You know, you take away everything he has and everything he'll ever be and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, damn. This is some poignant shit. It's so good. It's so it good. Is. It's well, perfect. Let's stay on the Clint Eastwood train for my number two pick. Uh, you, you could, I'm just, you look at that filmography of Westerns that Eastwood put out. 
it's fantastic. I mean, it, I think it rivals like the John Wayne stuff. But if I had to pick one, and I want uh, the kids to kind of experience the spaghetti western, I got to go with 1966's The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. that that one, I mean, what do you say about it that hasn't been said? And uh, it's a three-hour film that, for me, flies by. And at one point, it embraces the Western convention. At the next point, it just totally tears it down. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely gorgeous to look at. And uh, I, I just I can't wait to introduce the kids to it just simply because I'm hoping that sort of um, gets them interested in going to see the other sort of spaghetti Western specifically, you know, for a few dollars more, et cetera. But this is the one that I really kind of want to carve out uh, an afternoon, sit them down, like give them a whole history lesson of how this film got made, why it's important, et cetera, and then watch it and then have like an after-class discussion. I know that's not going to happen. I'll just be lucky if I get three hours of their time and they don't kill me for watching this thing. (laughs) <laughs> but um, it's one of those that, you know, some films you love so much and you you put them on regular rotation, you watch them over and over again. This is one that I can't watch on a regular basis because as soon as I watch it, I'm just replaying the movie in my head. And even right now, I can just remember everything about it. So I, I always make sure there's like a nice little gap between visiting it because it's just that, I don't know, yeah. important and, and it just kind of sears its images on your brains. Yeah. I've seen it so many times that, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's it's easily in my top westerns of all time. If I was to make a list of top twenty or whatever, it'd be in there, and a good portion of that list, maybe twenty five percent of it, would probably be Clint Eastwood movies. But yeah, because um, he's kind of synonymous with the westerns of uh, Italy and America in a weird way. It's funny how that. I mean, it's he's entrenched in the spaghetti western in like American westerns. It's it's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. I mean, it is, and uh, there's no other actor that's ever been able to do that, really. And and it's uh, because uh, Nero didn't do it. I mean, he never yeah. could do it. So anyway, it, it's it's uh, yeah, that's a great one, man. I mean, it. I love for a few dollars more, more, but that's because I love Lee Van Cleef so much. Oh, now, okay, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef is great in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly too. Yeah. That opening of the Good, but the Bad, Eli the Wallach I, to me, it's you put Lee Van Cleef, Eli Wallach, and Clint Eastwood. I, it's it's a perfect match. Yeah, yeah. Watching those three go at it is fantastic. Yeah, I love watching uh, Lee Van Cleef eat that bowl of vegetables or whatever he's eating in the opening of that with that big wooden spoon. <laughs> yeah. You stare at that guy. <laughs> What's your number one, Sam? So my number one might be a little underseen, but this is one I always try to push on people because I think it's the one of the hidden gems of all hidden gems. I really do. Um, this film came out in 2005. Uh, I don't feel like anybody saw it. I felt like it was kind of talked about a little bit uh, with critical praise, but I feel like it came and gone and it was over before you know it. I know it didn't make its money back. So technically this is a bomb. So maybe you guys will oh, cover it someday. Yeah. Um, but that is the three burials of Melchiatus Estrada. Oh yes. Such directed a good one, film. Yeah. Directed by one Tommy Lee Jones. It's kind of a dream project of his. And again, it got a lot of critical praise, but uh, only made $12 million. It only cost $15 million, but it only made $12 million worldwide. But it's an amazing little quiet Western and an amazing story about friendship and dedication and what it means to be a man, at least by these standards, the kind of a dying cowboy, the old kind of righteous cowboy. And um, I really think it's, it's Tommy Lee Jones, like shining hour. Like it's, 
the apex of everything he ever did. And he's been in a lot of stuff, right? I mean, we all can name probably five Tommy Lee Jones performances we love because he's just one of them actors who kind of just takes over the screen, steals scenes all the time, all that kind of stuff. But this is him directing and acting as the lead and just doing an amazing job. Um, Dwight, Dwight Yoakam in that movie too? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Dwight Yoakam, Barry Pepper. Um, I can't remember who else. Seems like, uh, well, I'm looking at it now. I got it up here now. January Melissa. Jones, maybe? Yeah. Isn't January Jones and Melissa yeah. Leo's it, I, in there. I wanted to see it so bad, and I remember it being in the theater for like a hot minute and was gone, and uh-huh. I didn't get to you know catch it until the home media release. But when I did... It was one of those that I went back and watched the next day because I, I just fell in love with it the first time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the movie is mostly shot on Tommy Lee Jones' own ranch. So it's as low budget as low budget can get. It's a passion project. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing what he pulls off. And now it's not an action-packed Western. It's more of a... It's a meditation. Kind of a, a meditation, yeah. It's yeah. more like yeah. that. But it still has all the tropes and it still has all the things you love about Westerns. And I can't recommend it enough. I push it on everybody I know. And I'll push it on some of your listeners who don't listen to our show. Now, please check out the three burials of Milky out of Sistrata. I agree. Amazing pick. All right, Brad, number one. <clears throat> well, uh, mine is from 2012. It is a Western directed by the one, the only Mr. Quentin Tarantino. It is Django Unchained. <laughs> Good. Surprise, I, see, surprise. I, yeah, I big know. surprise there. Wow. I know. I it's, thought he was going to go with Hateful Eight for a second there. And then Ooh, we right. would just end the podcast, okay? So. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, thanks, folks. See you. I absolutely adore Django Unchained. Um, it's got one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie, the bag scene. But it's also got one of the most intense kind of sit at a table scene with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Everyone knows about the famous broken glass part of it as well. Um yeah, it's it's bloody. It's written really well. It's a Tarantino movie through and through. Um, you know, it, it wears all of its influences right in front of your face. Um, and I love it for that. And that's what Tarantino does. I think the best is he takes things that he likes that influence him. He puts it all together and, and spits out something that's amazing. And a lot of people try to do that, right? Like people try to take all their influences and put out a movie and it's garbage. Uh because Tarantino was such a good writer, I think he he makes it work. Um, and there have been rumors, and then they were shot down, and all the stuff with Django and Zorro uh, yeah. doing a movie together, which <laughs> I'm still holding out hope for, but we'll we'll see. So, what what do you think of Tarantino's cameo in that film? It's terrible. Okay, it's it's the worst. It's so bad. It's his actually. You know what? Your Australian accent is better than his. What? Really? Uh, yeah. 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 I'll give you that. Yeah, it's bad. I don't mind that scene because I still think his worst performance is in Death Proof. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that, that says it's too. But yeah, he was kind of, I feel bad for him because that was when he was a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. Boy, he's he's kind of puffy in yeah. that uh, in that scene. So anyway, um, Django Unchained. Cool. Let me rewatch it. I haven't watched that movie in I I I, I laughed so hard. When they're sitting there on the side of the hill talking about how if they're going to wear the bags on their heads or not, and the guy gets mad because his wife stayed up all night trying to cut the bags, the holes in the bags. God, I just sometimes if I'm feeling kind of down or something, I'll just watch that scene and it cheers me right up. So it's yeah. it's, it's funny. Uh, Cameron was on a Tarantino kick and he wanted to see that, so we sat down to watch. It. I'm like, this is the movie. 
that's going to get him into Westerns. And so he liked it. He's like, it's a great Tarantino film. I'm like, well, we should watch Django. It's a, nah, not interested. Nope. And then he moved on. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the Western is a, it's a complicated beast to teach people. It really is. Well, I found one that I think changed it and it's my number one pick. Okay. It, it is my favorite Western of all time. It was one. I think the first time I saw it was in college. Uh, and, and we rented it on VHS or something, watched it, totally blown away. And about that time, it was making a revival, yeah. and it started to play in theaters. Without even knowing what you are going to say, mm-hmm. I know that this is the first letterbox VHS I bought. And that's how I watched it, was like on a yeah. letterbox VHS. Yeah. Because uh, everybody was raving about it, and I knew nothing about this, right? Uh-huh. So sat down watched it on just this like 20 inch TV. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, Oh my God, what is going on here? This thing's amazing. Watch it over and over again. And when I got to see it in the theater, I, I would put it up there. The first time I saw this on the big screen, it's probably a top 10 like viewing experience for me. Mm. So every time this thing is playing anywhere in a theater near me, I'm, I'm like there. And I had the chance, I think it was a month or two ago, the Senator, uh, in Baltimore, which is this gorgeous older theater. It was showing it one night, uh, like on a Wednesday night, seven o'clock. And I said, Cameron, we're going, you're going to like this film. He's like, well, I got homework. I don't give a shit about your homework. We're going to go watch this film. (laughs) Yeah, this is important. This is important. And so I could tell he was not really excited about it. Cause as soon as I say the W word Western, he's like, okay, whatever. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. You're excited about it. Let's go. Yeah. So this is just father son thing. And we got to watch 1969's the wild bunch on the big screen. Yes. Again, a movie that I can't add anything to it. There are some amazing books about this film and even Sam Peckinpah. You should just go back and read all everything about Sam Peckinpah. But I, I, this is, this is what got me excited. So we're watching this film and as it starts, you know, in the first 10 minutes, which you start with this bank robbery, I could just, you, you can kind of know somebody's body language right next to you, right? So that first 15, 20 minutes just goes by, and I could just see out of the corner of my eye, Cameron looks a little perplexed because it <laughs> wasn't what he was expecting. It was a little brutal, right? Uh-huh. And so all of a sudden, his postures, you know, it's not slumped over. He's paying attention now. And so we're going through the film, and you get to the middle of it, the bridge blows up, and all of a sudden, he's, he's really sitting up in his seat. And then you get to the iconic let's go and they are walking down the street and we paid for the whole seat, but Cameron was only using 25% of it at that point. (laughs) And he is just glued to the screen. And as soon as that film was over, I mean, I just, I turned to him like, what do you think? He's like, that was freaking amazing. If Westerns are like that, I will watch them. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And, and I had the same reaction to it the first time I saw it. And especially when I saw it on the big screen and to go see that with my dad, um, in Wichita, Kansas to have the chance, like to, to, for him and I to take that in and also to pass it on with Cameron. Uh, it, it's not only, you know, one of my top five movies of all time, uh, but it's my favorite Western. So that, that's my number one pick. Stuff blows up so good in that movie. It does. Um, and yeah. I mean, talk about a film that has so much to say on so many different topics at so many different levels. It, it's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. Get your politics out of my Western. 
<laughs> okay, Brad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. I don't think that's going to happen tonight on the movie we're talking about. Yeah. You guys got any uh, honorable mentions or anything? Anything you want to throw out there? Um, All mine were like, of course, you know, those. Once Upon a uh, Time in the West is probably one of the ones I go to. Yeah. I would I say, I-, I would say if the, the runner up in the John Wayne category for me is always the Cowboys. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't bring up Silverado. I love Silverado. Silverado, to me, um, I really enjoyed it uh, because of everybody who's in it. But it didn't want me to get into Westerns (laughs) until I saw El Dorado. Um, But I I love Silverado. I think it's a great 80s film. Yeah. A lot of of people love the Tombstone, obviously. So none of us pick that. That's kind of interesting. I I like Tombstone, but uh, it's a little over long in hindsight, really. Yeah. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I am much more of a Clint Eastwood guy over John Wayne. Like mm. the man who shot uh, Liberty Valance, like I like that a lot. That's probably my favorite John Wayne. And then the rest of them, I'm like, eh, I'd much rather watch Clint Eastwood for some yeah. reason. The great thing about Liberty Valance is it's John Wayne as a human being and not John Wayne as John Wayne. Yeah. Uh, which is important. Uh, I got a few. I just want to throw out there because I could talk about this genre until I'm blue in the face. Uh, bad day of black rock. Make sure you guys check that out. Australian Western, the proposition, check that out. Quick in the dead, Sam Raimi's Western. Yes. Much more, oh, yes. much better than people think it is. Uh, the ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen brothers. Western. Oh yes. That's a very that's good. good one. Yeah. Very good. People don't talk about it. All the Bud Buttaker, Randolph Scott Westerns they made together and they made five together. I can't recommend them enough. The tall T, uh, ride lonesome. Uh, Ooh, the assassination of Jesse James is a really good one. The Brad Pitt. Western. And one, yeah, and one I don't uh, think gets any love at all in the Valley of Violence, which is John Travolta and Ethan Hawke. It's really good. Check it out. I I have a I have a question because I don't know where you land on this one, Sammy. One that again I discovered just when I went down the rabbit hole of westerns, and I can't put my finger on why I like it so much, but it's one that uh, I will watch on it on you know every once in a while because it just fascinates me. Is uh, One Eye Jacks with Marlon Brando? Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. And I think he directed that one, right? Yeah. I, I know it's a bit of a mess and there's a lot of stories, you know, behind it getting made, but I, I don't know. I think Brando's really good in it. And I, I think it's an interesting Western too. Yeah. Him and Kubrick couldn't get along. Yep. Oh, the Kubrick walked away. Make you make the movie yourself. And he did. Yeah. And it, it's, it is, it is interesting. It's a, it's, it's actually a quite a solid Western. Yeah. Well, I picked this week cause I, I wanted to talk about Westerns. I wanted to talk about Westerns with the three of us. And I actually wanted to talk about Westerns from this time period. So I don't know how much you remember about the early 90s. But if you think about it, and this is crazy to me, at one point, if you're talking like the the 60s kind of going into the 70s, Westerns were all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the 80s, like you just mentioned Silverado. Silverado was kind of a big hit, but there really wasn't much out there in, you know, the Western genre. Right. And when you get into the early nineties, I thought this was fascinating. So I'm, I was, I went back and I was looking at the movies from like 90 to 94 and here are the quote unquote Westerns that were out there. So you had back to the future part three, which takes place yeah. in the West, right? Yeah. Dances. Yeah. Dances with wolves, which we talked about, right? Young guns too. So those are sort of the three heavy hitters for 1990. Yeah. I like that film. I know it's not great, but I like it. Yeah, 1991, you get An American Tale, Five Old Goes West. Yeah. Um, 92, Last of the Mohicans. Okay. I love that film. You also get Unforgiven. 
right? I think we've already talked about how we much talked about that one. <laughs> 93, you get Walter Hill and Geronimo, an American legend. Yeah, I need to rewatch that one. Yeah, you also get Posse, right? Was oh, that yes. Mario Van Peebles? That's the Mario Van Peebles one, yes. Yep, Tombstone, right? 93. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bad Girls, 1994. Yeah. Lightning Jack from 94. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maverick in 94. Hell yeah. Which is yeah, a fun I like film. Maverick. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun, silly. I like it. Wagons East, uh, Western comedy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's Chris Farley, right? Yep. And was it Matthew Perry? No. Is that right? Is it Wagons East? Is that, is that the him or is that John Candy? Oh, I bet you it was John Candy. I can't remember. Maybe it was John Candy. I feel like the uh, Farley one was called something Heroes or something. I think you're right. It was it was John Candy was yeah. uh, Wagon Z. Okay. Yeah. And well, the movie the movie he died while he, he was making that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and then lastly, you know, somebody who's not uh, afraid to do westerns, Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp in '94. I think he did that with Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a return of them working together, and that one's underrated. It is. Record. It's I, it's really long. If I feel the length on that one. Yeah, it's not it's not perfect. It, yeah. it has a lot of problems, but I like it. So it's it's just interesting to me. Like you have a lot of comedy westerns. You have westerns that are not. I, I don't know. Tombstone, maybe. Wait, um, how, didn't we do? Didn't we do? Uh, Heaven's Gate. Yeah, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. So this is yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, that's true. It. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but no, I just the '90s were kind of fascinating because, kind of like the movie we're talking about today if you were going to do a Western, your Western had to have a hook in it. So when you look at dances with wolves, last of the Mohicans, maybe wider, some of these epic grand scale things, I think Hollywood is chasing after sort of, we're going to make a big budget Western grand scope. And we're going after that Oscar outside Mm -hmm. of that. You had a lot of comedy Westerns, lightning Jack, um, American tale five, it goes West back to future part three, sci-fi comedy. But I, I don't know if you had a traditional, just old-fashioned adventure Western. Um, and that's why I kind of find Quigley Down Under from 1990 a little fascinating. It's the one that feels like the most traditional. Like, Quigley Down Under in the 90s really belongs probably in the 60s or something of that nature. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit. In yeah, term- certainly, certainly the 70s. The 70s, yeah. That's probably more accurate. Late 60s, mid 70s, somewhere in that era. Yeah. And and obviously we're talking about it now because when it came out in 90, it, it bombed. Um, but it's really interesting to see what the Western was like in the early 90s and then also what this film was going up against. Uh, and, and we'll talk about the people in the movie. But we always start with you, Brad, and we go in the Wayback Machine and we talk about what was going on in 1990 from a box office perspective. How did how did the this sucker do? Yeah, so released October 19th, 1990, with a reported budget of $18 million. Quickly down under grosses, $21 million for its total gross. Um, <clears throat> its opening weekend, it grosses $3.85 million. That's good enough for number three, which it is beat out by Marked for Death and Memphis Bell. And rounding out the top five was Ghost. Um, and uh, Fantasia, the re-release. Uh, okay. Critically, Quigley Down Under sits at a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 73% with the audience. Um, there is no, sadly, no Christian uh, review of this movie. Aww. But 
they're shooting aborigines, so I'm sure the Christian website loved that. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, <laughs> can't believe you just yeah. said that. Well, they're, they're not white, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so films release October 1990. We have things like Desperate Hours, Listen Up, Quincy Jones, Harry and June, which is a big sort of uh, wasn't that NC 17? Uh, yeah, Henry and June. Yeah, that, uh, that June, that's yeah. a Fred Ward film. Yeah, yes, it is. Is he actually uh, in it though? He's not, he's actually in that film. Okay, yes. right. Uh, Memphis Bell. We have um, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Oh, wow. We have Reversal of Fortune, and we have Night of the Living Dead, the remake, White, uh-huh. yeah, White Palace, Graveyard Shift, Sibling oh. Rivalry, Rivalry. And uh, the aforementioned Quigley Down Under. So, oh. yes. I saw a good chunk of those in the theater. I did, too. Yeah. I remember seeing Night of the Living Dead by myself because nobody else wanted to go, which yeah. was crazy. That might, might have been the same way for me, actually. <laughs> of course that's it was. Tom Savini, that's Tom Savini <laughs> directed that one, right? Isn't didn't Yeah. He? Tony Is Todd's in it, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good, actually. Uh, it, it doesn't get enough credit for what it is. I mean, it's really good. I agree. Well, let's talk about the people behind the camera, in front of the camera. We'll start with director Simon Winsor. Are you familiar with his work? Um, I am. Okay. I am. All right. Since I was a kid. <laughs> Since you're a kid? All right. Yeah. So yeah, he's got an interesting filmography. I mean, he's jumped back and forth through like movies and television, TV movies too. Some of the ones that came to mind, and I'm trying to like stick to around the time period he's working on Quigley Down Under. But before he did Quigley Down Under, the year before, uh, he had done a TV series called Lonesome Dove, right? Mm, so never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Oh, you should check it out, Sam. It's it's not too bad. I think you'll like it. Oh my God, my parents love that show so much. Oh, mine did too. Yeah, <laughs> we had a VCR and we taped it, and they wore that out. <laughs> it's Ro- Robert Duvall, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a limited series event. Um, it's really good. I, I yeah, it is. I, yeah. I make fun of it, but it's just because I've seen it so much. Yeah, it is really good. And this is interesting. So he does that quickly down under 90 follows that up with another interesting film, Harley Davidson in the Marlboro man in 1991, which is a Western. It is. And a movie that I love, even though I know it's trash, it is trash, (laughs) but I saw it in the theater and had a lot of fun with it. Me and my brother saw it in the theater and we thought it was the funniest movie ever made. Yeah. Um, then, you know, some other ones, Free Willy, 93. He worked on the young Indiana be, Jones Chronicles. Me, we, Holly Davidson in the Marble Man is n- not a comedy. Y- yeah, it right? is. Like, I think it's a comedy. It, well, is it I an mean, unintentional comedy? Well, no. I don't know about that. <laughs> the, well, I don't know for sure, but the interaction between uh, Mickey Rourke and Don, and Don Johnson, Johnson yeah. is pretty damn good. Okay. And that Baldwin brother in the leather coat, that had to be intentional. Yeah. That's yeah. Daniel. Okay. There, there is some true silliness in there, no doubt. But I, it, I, I think it, yeah, I think it was a buddy cop film, essentially. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, he did Lightning Jack '94, which is interesting. Dude, Operation wait. Dumbo Drop. Whoa! What? Whoa! What? Dude, he did Free Willy in '93. I said Free Willy. Are you not paying no, attention? Did you? Oh, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Brad, come on. Did I? I do you need me to was, do it in my Australian accent? No, God, please. <laughs> Very well, I very well, I another film we might talk about because I think it bombed. Um, The Phantom with Billy Zane in '96. Yeah, I think that the Phantom work. kicks ass. There, I said it. Okay, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, pretty good, I, actually, I, yeah. it's a fun film. 
Yeah, yeah he's not. Uh, I don't know how I mean, you would no say. There's no shadow, but it is still pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he's an okay director. He's not. He's not one that as soon as you see his title, you're going to gravitate to. But it isn't. It, it's interesting the movies that came out in the '90s that he was working on. Yeah, I mean, Daryl is was kind of popular with our age group. Oh yeah, that was uh, 80, uh, 84, 85. 85, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And I, I've seen a few of his films. Uh, we actually reviewed one uh, the day after Halloween, which is also known as Snapshot, which is an early kind of Australian horror film, almost Giallo-esque. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, a workman director. Yes. But he has some uh, some big stuff. He did a lot of uh, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. did a lot of those, too. Yeah, he he was tapped for, and which makes sense because I think he's actually a pretty good adventure director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the the screenplay or writer was done by John Hill. We'll talk about that in production development. I think this is interesting. So he wrote a little film back in 1981 starring Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters, a robot oh, wow. movie called Heart Beeps. Oh, now I know Sammy, you've seen this, right? Have you I used to stay up late to, to try to watch it on cable? Yeah. Have, have you checked out Heartbeats, Brad? No. Okay. Put that on your list. <laughs> okay. You. It's wow. A, it's a weird movie. Yeah. He also did uh, Little Nikita in 88. I thought this, he's, he's done a lot of TV, but he, he was responsible for 1994's Thunder in Paradise. Yeah. With Hell Hulk yeah, Hogan. brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cinematography, David Egby. This is interesting. So he lensed Mad Max in 79, Mm -hmm. uh, Kansas in 89, Warlock in 89, Blood of Heroes in 89. He's busy, right? That led up to Quigley Down Under. He also worked on Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. I can feel my cheeks coming back. I think that whatever that stuff they gave to fix that feelings. I believe it's called Novocaine. That thing, yeah. Okay. Uh, Here you go, Brad. 1992's Fortress with... You're go ahead. What? It's fortunate. Oh, are you even paying attention tonight? No, I am. <laughs> Mr. Christopher Lambert. Uh, God. All right. Um, dragon. I'm the God of exposition. <laughs> <laughs> dragon. That might, the be, Bruce that might be my favorite. That might be my favorite Lambert movie. Actually. Fortress. Fortress. Maybe over Highlander. Maybe I'd have to go back and revisit Highlander. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I haven't was, watched it in a long time. I've seen it a million times. So Fortress Stewart Gordon. Did he direct that? Yeah, I believe he did. It was either him Stuart or Brian Gordon. Usna. It's Stuart Gordon. Yeah. yeah. I think Brian Usna was attached as well. So Okay. Um, Lightning Jack. So you're seeing some of the names uh, on the same films, right? So uh-huh. John. Dragon the Bruce Lee story. David. Yep. He worked on that. I thought this was interesting, like Dragonheart, Pitch Black, Scooby-Doo, and Riddick in 2013. So he's been he's been working for a while. I think some of those films, a lot of those films were shot in Australia. Yeah. And oh, I, okay. Which makes total sense. Yeah. I'm excited about this music by, is it Basil Poldoris? Yeah, that, that's, that's, as good. let's just say Basil Poldoris. Basil Poldoris. He just passed away this year, I think. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Responsible yeah. for Conan the Barbarian. No, he died in two, 2006, guys. What? Did he really? Oh, okay. Yeah, November 8th, 2006. Well, people don't come here for facts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Um, Red Dawn. Still was 2006. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he did music for a film I just watched the other night, Iron Eagle in 1986. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he the, did a lot of stuff. But that Conan theme, that dun 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 <laughs> that one is my favorite. When he pours the soup of people. Yes. The people soup over. And yes. That's, uh, that's probably his best score that he's ever done. Uh, He did Robocop 2. Yeah, he did that. Me and Brad watched that together, and I remember seeing his name, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, he did do this. But I would still say Conan. I mean, he did Robocop, but Conan, I think, is a better theme. 
Yeah, probably. I think so. Maybe. Okay. Okay. He did Hot Shots Part Two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And Starship Troopers. And yeah, Harley he, Davidson in the Marlboro Man. <laughs> we would have to talk about Costa Harley Davidson, too. man. He, he did uh, For Love of the Game, yeah. which is a, surprisingly a Sam Raimi film, which... Hunt for yeah. Red October. He's he's busy. He, it's surprising how many scores that I remember of his. Yeah. So let's talk about in front of the camera. I, this is interesting because we 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 talked about Tom Selleck a little bit off and on this week as Matthew Quigley to give a little context because I think most TV stars, especially for hit TV shows, once the series is over, then they kind of get into film, right? That necessarily wasn't the case for Tom Selleck. So Magnum PI ran from 1980 to 1988, and I think that's where a lot of people know him from. Yes. But even while he was doing that, he was doing movies like High Road to China in 83, Lasser in 84, Runaway in 84, Three Men and a Baby in 87. And um, after Magnum PI ended, I think he had a contract with Touchstone Pictures or something, but he was doing Her Alibi in 89 an innocent man in 89 and then quickly down under in 1990 and three men and a little lady in 1990. Yeah. Which the three men films were huge. Yeah. So uh, you had made, and here's the thing. He does a couple other movies. I think it's in and out in 1997 was his last big theatrical one. And then he goes right back to TV movies and series. And you know, he's been working there pretty steady ever set. That's, that's a good film, by the way. I think that's a good film. Uh, in and out. Yeah. Yeah. With I wonder if it's aged well though. I wonder if it, it's like actually kind of mean to homosexuality now in hindsight. Oh, I it, that's that's curious. I would like to go back and and look at yeah. that. Wasn't uh, Tom Selleck on Friends for a few times? Wasn't yeah. he? Okay, yeah, he played Monica's boyfriend for a little while. Yep. You don't remember that, dude? I watched Seinfeld. I didn't watch Friends. Oh, yeah, my then, wife. My wife was a huge Friends fan, so we watched both. We yeah. yeah. Uh, but you had made you the choose comment. a side. You're either a Seinfeld person or you're a Friends person. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> do I have to choose right now or can you yes, give me a you day? Do. Oh, well then Seinfeld all day okay, long. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Seinfeld all day long. But. Uh, you had made the comment. I thought this was kind of interesting that Tom Selleck, and this is just in a text, right? Tom, you're surprised that Tom Selleck wasn't bigger. Well, I, I think they really tried and apologies. My voice is kind of going in and out. So I apologize to folks listening. Um, I got a little bit of, I don't know, some type of kind of bug here going. Hopefully not the bug we've been talking about behind the scenes, but uh, he did some movies that I liked, some adventure films that I liked. Uh, was it High Road to China uh-huh. and uh, a couple other things? And then Quigley and, and a few other things. And I just thought he was—he really kind of personified the man's man, um, the big mustache, the bushy eyebrows, a very good-looking fellow, big guy, tall. Um, I think he's got a very natural charisma. I don't think he's an amazing actor, but I think his charisma overtakes all that. And I think he's a very good comedic actor, actually. I think he's very good at, I think his comedic timing is very good. And I just, I feel bad for him sometimes. I mean, he's forever and always going to be Magnum P.I. He's had two great hit TV shows in his life. He's had Blue Bloods, which I think ran has ran for like 11 seasons. And I think he produced some of that. Mm-hmm. And he's made like a ton of money off of it. And then he, which I've never watched. And then he watched, he made Magnum P.I., which my parents thought was the greatest show ever made. (laughs) Uh, I mean, when they watched that, they loved that show to death. And I loved it too. But I don't know why he was never a bigger movie star. And I always go back to that story of them not casting him as Indiana Jones. And I wonder if fate would have 
played out that way, what we would have had. I think Harrison Ford would have been a big star either way because I think he has that roguish charm. But I wonder if Selleck would have been more bankable. Uh, You know, I love Runaway. I love High Road to China. There's a bank robber movie, too, he did. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's pretty good. Yeah, he's um, he he did some interesting things. I like Innocent Man, even yeah, no, that came out yeah, the year before that. The TV movie stuff he did in the '90s and, and some of the '80s and stuff, including some stuff with Simon Windsor. He did some more western stuff with him. Yeah, he did a lot of TV westerns right yeah. after Quigley Crossfire. Was it Crossfire Trail? Yeah, it's um, actually really good stuff. Yeah, and uh, Lasseter is the name of that uh, uh, thief movie. Yep, highly recommend Lasseter. I saw it in movie theater. Um. You know, I, I just think he should have been he should have been a bigger star. And uh I think he's I think he's done fine for himself. I mean he's been in some huge movies. Um, but I've always I've always kind of liked him. He he's kinda like running into that uh I don't know, that uncle you like or something, you know? He's just he doesn't bother me when he pops on screen. And he's got such a look that he should be a distraction. But I just think he's very easy going on, on screen. I think the camera loves him. I agree. I've I've always really liked Tom Selleck. He's one of those that if I see him in something, I'm kind of immediately interested, even his TV stuff. I don't know how you feel about him, Brad. He's he's fine. He's perfectly <laughs> adequate to me. It's like I, I'm not a kid of the eighty like I I just didn't grow up on Tom Selleck. So like yeah. the time around the nineties come around, like he's not a he's not really a thing. Yeah. No, that's true. And, his and time, time is and, yeah, the nineties roll around, they're not really making like movie star TV shows anymore. Mm-mm. If that makes no. sense, you know, uh, Troy true. and I kind of, we, we were lucky. We grew up and I think we were lucky. And then we grew up when they would put like Robert Blake on TV. Um, Steve McQueen. Well, he was before our time, but yeah. still we would see him in reruns. We would see these movie stars that would have TV shows. Yeah. Welcome and, back Cotter. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing my, my first Tom Selleck movie was probably Mr. Baseball. Oh, that's a better movie than Mr. 3000. Well, yeah, Mr. Baseball's not bad. By, it's by default. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not something to it's, it's not something to run right out and see, but I mean if it's on, I wouldn't necessarily switch the channel. I like him in it. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'd I'd watch it. Yeah. So the the other one in here is Laura San Giacomo Giacomo as Crazy Cora. Now <laughs> yeah, leading up to this, she had done Sex Lies and Videotape. I think that's the first movie I saw or remember seeing her in. Uh, Pretty Woman in 1990 and Quigley Down Under in 1990. And then here we go. So Alan Rickman as Elliot Marston. So I think I think everybody will know Alan Rickman either from the Harry Potter films as Snape. That's how my kids know him, right? Yeah. 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 There's a whole generation of kids that know him as that. I, adults, I say. Yeah. I know him from Die Hard quickly down under Robin Hood, Prince and Thieves, because in that, in that time period, he was tapped to be a villain, right? He was, yeah. He was the bad guy. I think he might've been the bad guy in Kevin Klein's January man as well. Uh, no, he, he was the sidekick, wasn't he? Oh, was he? I don't yeah. remember that. I, I thought I remember. I thought he was back. like Kevin Klein's uh, buddy or partner or something. I need to go back and look at the January man. Clearly. Now the movie. I, so if you're talking Alan Rickman films, I mean, nothing beats die hard dogma. <laughs> there's dogma, but dogma. there's always, you know, two- you know what he's really good in that he gets no credit for. What's that galaxy quest? I was just going to say that. Oh, so fuck, the, yeah. the two films that I think of with Alan Rickman, where I just go, look, you may know Die Hard, et cetera, but if you want like comedic timing, just perfection, <laughs> yeah, you have to watch galaxy quest. He's just freaking, 
comedy gold in that film. He really is. And the other one that I really like uh, from his was Truly Madly Deeply in 1990. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is a more serious film, but he's so good in that one too. Yeah, he's really good in that one. I think he's in uh, Love Actually as well. Yeah, he, he's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, he was. It's a shame he died. It really is. That was a it kind is. of a shocker because I think he was only yeah 69 years old, and uh, that's a shame because he had a very unique voice and a very unique uh, screen persona. Yeah, his delivery really- between comedy, serious, um, scary. I mean, he could do it all. Yeah, and I, to me. Nobody can match him being a villain when he did those roles. I mean, name another actor that would deliver something like Die Hard, Quigley Down Under, or or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, those three bad guy performances, I mean, they go hand in hand. They're epic. Yeah. Uh, One of them is way over the top. I think the Sheriff of Nottingham one's way over the top, but it's great. (laughs) With a spoon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he does, what he does really well is... He's very menacing while being very charming. Yes, that's true. Yeah, like he's always somewhat likable. Like it's weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, Hans Gruber is somewhat likable for some yeah, reason, and that's why you. <laughs> he's so know, polite. When he dies, you're like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then going through this real quick, we've got Chris Haywood as Major Ashley Pitt. And then I'm always surprised as many times I've seen this film. It always, cause that red ginger hair pops up. Ben Mendelsohn is O'Flynn. Yeah. yeah very young Ben Mendelsohn playing an Irishman. Yeah. And people may know him from rogue one or ready player one plays the bad guys in those. Oh yeah. Just about anything nowadays. Like nowadays he's one of the, he's one of the great actors working right now. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Let's talk about production and development before we share our thoughts. Um, I want to make sure we mention Roger Ward, oh, great yep. Australian character actor. Roger Ward plays Brophy, the guy with the big beard. Oh, okay. Roger Ward is one of the great character actors of all time. And uh, just look him up. You guys will know. You've seen him and stuff. Okay. Trust me. I always, I'm always, I should just have you do this because you always go like 15 down. This guy. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not me. I'm good at that. But I think Jose trumps me. Jose. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I Nobody's going to match him. Uh, production development. So John Hill first began writing Quigley Down Under in 1974. He was actually inspired by a article about the genocide of the Aborigines in the 19th century Australia. And so he writes this at a time period when the Westerns were in a decline in the seventies. And he said, quote, um, the script opened a lot of doors for me and led to other assignments. Mm -hmm. Now the script was first optioned in 1979 for Steve McQueen. And the script was bought by CBS theatrical films where it was attached to director Rick Rosenthal. Ah, yes. Yeah. It then went to Warner Brothers with Tom Selleck to star and Lewis Gilbert to direct around 1987. Okay. Lewis Gilbert. Yep. Warner Brothers had the script for three years, but then dropped their option. The script then became the subject of a bidding war between Pate Entertainment, Disney, and Warner Brothers. It sold to Pate for 250000 which Hill said is pretty good when you consider that for 15 years I'd been making money optioning and rewriting that screenplay. <laughs> Um, oh, and okay. it, I had to look up Lewis Gilbert. Okay. <laughs> Moonraker. Yeah. Spy who loved me. Alfie. There you go. Yeah. He had some action films under his belt. Yeah, he did. He did. There's some good stuff in here. Uh, head of production at Pate Allen Ladd agreed to commit to a $20 million budget. So I, I think the budget goes back from 18 to 20 and Selleck agreed to star and the director was Australian Simon Windsor. Mm. Um, Windsor felt a good story had been ruined by all the rewrites from the people who knew little about, about Australian history, obviously since he's Australian. 
So we yeah. brought on Ian Jones as a writer. And oh, went, we had someone on this show who could do a really good Australian accent. You do. I was doing it, but yeah. my face still isn't yeah. it, okay. the Novocaine. It's almost gone. <clears throat> um, they went back to the original draft, reset it from the 1880s to the 1860s, made it more historically accurate. And the film was shot entirely Australia. So one quick uh, piece of trivia, um, the firearm used by Quigley is a custom 3.5 pound single shot 1874 Sharps rifle with a 34 inch barrel. The rifle used for filming was a replica manufactured for the film by the Shiloh Rifle Manufacturing Company of Big Timber, Montana. There you go. America. America. I got a boner. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is that, it, don't they call that the quickly gun? They well, yeah. I mean, I mean, this movie is not above gun worship, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Most westerns aren't, but this one is very uh, gun or gun porn. There's some gun porn here. There is a lot of gun porn here. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this one. Full disclosure: saw this in the theater a couple of times. Uh, this was right about when. I was going down that rabbit hole of Westerns on a pretty consistent basis. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious about your guys' thoughts. Is this a first time watch for anybody? It was for me. Yeah. Oh, it was for you. Okay. So you've mm -hmm. never seen it. Um, yeah. Sammy, you had a couple times, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna start with uh, you, Brad. First time watch. What did you think about Quigley down under? <laughs> it's a big, uh, okay. I don't know. That's good. Sammy, <laughs> what do <are> you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss because you got to get that blooming onion there, Mike. Yeah. Come on, Brad. Uh, the boomerang. It's coming right back to me. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I sell. It's fine. Uh, crazy Cora is fine. Uh, Alan Rickman is great, but not on screen enough um, for my liking. Uh, the story is pretty predictable and, you know, it's your, your Western, your hero walks into town, essentially is going to have a battle with the bad guy. And then at the end of the movie, he leaves. That's exactly what happens in this movie. Um, so you're saying it's a Western. So, yeah. So it's a Western. <laughs> um, and, and I, I wish Australia played more of a part in this movie. I feel like this doesn't feel like it wasn't shot out West in the U S like it doesn't to me, it doesn't scream Australia. Um, and maybe I'm just ignorant and, and, and don't know enough, but it didn't seem like they, they let it play into Australia. Like not that that movie Australia is very good, but you know, that's Australia. And like, so if you're going to shoot there, make it look like Australia again, this is just my dumb American brain. So it, it could be, but I, I felt like, this could have been out west in the desert somewhere. Yeah, um, you, want, you wanted some Australia porn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted a kangaroo <laughs> and somebody going at yeah. You know what I'm saying? You um, wanted Alan Rickman finger in a pouch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, that is that an is entirely, entirely that different is a, film. That is a good A. Um, good A. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think this is one of the most middle of the road movies we've done. It's like, it's totally fine. I, okay. I, I enjoyed, I don't say I enjoyed, it was fine watching this movie. I never really felt compelled to, to really get into it. I, I just, I, I don't know. 
it, it, it might be because most of the Westerns I know are contemporary. And this one is somewhat contemporary. 1990 was shit 32 years ago. So maybe not as contemporary as but, I think. So that, that's um, an issue. Can I, can I stop there? That's an interesting yeah. comment. Is it a contemporary Western, even though it's 1990? And I mean, so- they're playing, I mean, they're, they're using like the, the aesthetic. I, I, I know what you're saying. It's yeah. Like, it's not like Django and chain. That is like a, obviously con- like a contemporary, it looks contemporary. This one doesn't scream anything. And I found the cinematography, like I'm usually not like a huge cinematography guys, but like with Westerns, you almost want to like fetishize the, the, the setting and the surroundings. They don't do that here. Like I was thinking about um, heaven's gate. Mm. Just think about all the beautiful shots in heaven's gate of the hillsides and, 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 and all the stuff that's involved when shooting that they let the movie breathe a lot more. This one, I just felt like a was predictable. We knew exactly what was going to happen. And there was some, some nice shootout scenes, but nothing like that. I was too blown away by, I don't know, man. Like I, I didn't hate it. I obviously didn't think it was great. I'm just like middle of the road. And, and I just don't know if I like Tom Selleck. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, yeah. is that the sticking point? Like if, if it were a different lead, if it were somebody you could get behind from, cause Maybe. Tom Selleck's all over the screen, right? You don't yeah, really yeah. spend any time except with Tom Selleck and who he's interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, obviously this is like a white savior movie, which is totally like, it's yeah. fine. That's what we did. We, we made movies where white people came and saved, uh, you know, the natives. And that's what we did for 50 years before this. And we will continue to do that for a long time. So like, yeah. I'm not holding that against this movie. I don't know if it's white savior as much as white guilt. Yeah. There, there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's there's certainly, there's certainly Elm as a white savior here. Yeah. Although it, I do, I do like that. They give the Aboriginal child back to the, the people. Yes. Yes. Cause I was like, are they going to take that kid? And, and, yeah, they don't. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really, and there is, I, I guess there, that is the one sort of shot in this movie where they are pushing the Aborigines like off the, the, the hillside and they're showing the bodies falling. Like oh that's, God. that's one of the scenes where I was like, okay, that stood out. Like, obviously I'm going to remember that, but the rest of it was just Western. Okay. Well, what about you, Sammy? This is a revisit for you. What What was your take on it? Watching it this time, um, I I had a good time with it. I had a good time rewatching it. Um, I think it it falls in that that world of uh, the Western mythos, kind of the legend of the West. I think it does a good job establishing the Quigley character as this uh, marksman, as this almost legendary character before you even know he's a legendary character. Uh, I think that's good. I think they do a good job uh, with that bucket scene of setting him up and just how good of a shot he is. Um, he's kind of an unstoppable force, which is what you gotta, gotta have in these old school Westerns. You gotta have a almost superhuman type person. Um, I think the comedy elements are good. I do think this movie struggles with tone a little bit and I'll, I'll tell you why as fun as it is and kind of goofy sometimes a crazy Cora and, and Quigley and, even Elliot Marshall, the Alan Rickman character, and some of the goons. When you start pushing children off of a cliff, your movie's a totally different movie. That, <laughs> that is a that it get, it gets I mean, dark. Kid, like that baby yeah. crying, like 
Yeah. You know, when you have, even if you don't, but like that hits you, like hearing babies cry. Like I almost was like, oh, I'm getting kind of emotional here. Yeah. I mean, like, it was it was crazy. I think Crazy Cora is like, bah, Roy, bah. you're like, yeah. Mm. It's a weird movie in that I think it hits all the Western beats right. And I, I, I don't agree. Respectfully, I don't agree with Brad. I think it does look very much like Australia. I think it does too. And I, okay. I, I could, yeah. I think it, most, mostly that's because of the large flies you can see at certain points. <laughs> well, the, the other thing I was going to point out is show me a goddamn kangaroo. They did. They did. There were some roos. Um, there were some roos. Yeah. Because they see uh, Roger Ward finger in that pouch. You didn't see that. <laughs> No, but I want to I want to add to that. I don't think the intent of this film was to give you scenery porn the way that Heaven's Gate does, yeah. because I think this is very much interested in something else. But it does take time to show you Australia. And I actually think there's a couple of really good Vista shots in there mm. that that lay out the landscape. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't spend time on it. It's more of a here you go. Yeah. This, this is them traveling from point A to point B. This is what they're going through. And um, it's it's very much, though, interested in getting to the next part of the story versus let me let me show you this entire landscape. And this is not a deep film outside no. of what it's trying to say with, you know, no. the treatment of the Aborigines. That's about as deep as it gets. This is a B movie. It is 100 percent a B movie. And yeah. uh, if you stay in that ballpark, it's fine. And but it I do think it struggles with tone. And I do think as open a vista as Australia can be, they do minimize it as much as they can. So maybe that's where Brad doesn't get that vibe. And like yeah, you said, Troy, mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel as wide open as, I mean, I've seen a lot of Australian films, even some smaller Australian films feel like there's nobody around for hundreds of thousands of miles. There's a moment here. There's a few moments here where it feels that way, but it never really feels like anybody's too far away here. And Again, it's just, it's just a B Western. It's just trying to move a story forward. So really the landscape really doesn't play a huge part in the movie. It's really more about, and I agree with the white savior thing a little bit, but I do like that early on we established that Quigley is not going to put up with crap from the Marston character. Like he is not going to put up with anything from, um, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting the actor's name. Alan Rickman. Sorry. Alan Rickman. Yep. At the dinner table and the way he kind of treats the Aboriginal fellow that's kind of his waiter or butler slave. And uh, so we were kind of kicked off pretty quick. And I like that. And I like the way the story develops from there. But I do think the movie has problems. And I think it goes too dark. Like, I think this is a perfectly fine, like, happy-go-lucky movie. I don't really think you need to be pushing Aboriginal folks off of cliffs and all that stuff. I think the ending still would pay off. Without doing that, uh, it just seems like a really weird moment to put into a movie. Like a, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't know how that got in there. But, and I'm surprised even now that it's kind of PG-13 uh, for that scene alone. I um, I feel like that was, and if you if you go back to that comment where they tried to go back um, after all these rewrites, and Simon Winsor, being Australian, says we want to get a little bit more authenticity into it. I'm yeah. sure that's a detail that he found where it's like, oh, yeah, these ranchers used to run these people off the yeah. cliffs. And he thought, well, that's a historical detail that I want to put in the film. Like, I, I feel yeah. like that's just something he found out knowledge wise and said, let me share yeah. it with everybody kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I have no doubt that's what happened. Yeah. Um, because it was like the Wild West. It was settled mostly by white 
uh, folks, and they came in and just like our country, they wiped out the majority of the indigenous population Mm -hmm. and uh, established themselves there. Now, they're still the part of the indigenous population there, but I think that the Australians, obviously, probably feel a lot of guilt the way similar the way we do about Native American history, or at least some of us do. I'm not going to say everybody, but some of us do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a great shame there and, uh, taking advantage of a people. And I think he's trying to say something there. I just don't think it belongs in this movie. That's, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this movie is very happy go lucky. I think the, the meat of this movie is really very simple. It's vengeance. And I think, I mean, obviously you got to have that scene in the way for the vengeance to take place, but I think they could have found another way for the vengeance. And I think the real heart of this movie is just crazy Cora and Roy slash Quigley. And Quigley's kind of interaction with her. They have really great chemistry together. Yes. And they have a really good time. And I enjoy them together on screen uh, more than anything else in the movie. Uh, but I do love the shootouts as well. That scene where he lines up two people and shoots them with a gun yes. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love how people, and I feel like it's almost a little Jackie Chan trick, you know, how they use wires to pull people from uh-huh. the impact of something. There's a lot of that when people get hit with bullets and you see their body like sliding back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it always works best. And if you have really good sound effects too. Yes. It works best. And it's got to be a quick cut. You know, if that impact's got to be quick and visceral and and just, you know, really violent. And that works even better. And of course, you see these these cartridges he's shooting, so you know that he's shooting these massive bullets. Yeah, and it's pretty great. Uh, that whole sequence is good. That sequence where they ride out on the hill and and he's kind of coming in and stuff, and that's all toward the back end of the film. I just think the film this it suffers from weird dark moments, and then some weird metaphysical moments, some supernatural esque type moments mm-hmm. that I don't know if it needed. I don't mind them. I just don't know if it was needed i mean it looked really cool right all the people lined up around the ranch yeah it looked really cool but i don't know i don't know i mean maybe it's me i i feel like the movie had an end before that sequence and it's the end that you talked about in text i felt like that was a better ending mm-hmm. um and then you could have cut to the uh laura san giacomo reunion at the at the dock and you would have been fine. And it would have been a great just kind of B movie Western. Um, I don't think it's bad in any way. I think it's quite entertaining. Um, I'm just surprised by how dark it goes sometimes. And uh, I did quite enjoy it. I, I really did on a rewatch. It was it was dusty and dirty and a good time. It was a good time. It really was. I had a good time with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. The only negative thing I have against the film is the moon effects when they superimpose that moon in the background um, and try and make it stand out. They do do that. Yes. Do do that. Yes. Outside of that, this is not, to me, this is one of those movies. And I, I I said, I made this comment when we kind of announced what we were watching last week that I watched this probably on a yearly basis almost because it's one of those movies that to me is just comfort food. I'm I'm not expecting a lot out of it outside of provide me a good solid Western. And I think it's a little bit above average because what ends up happening is most movies you, you want like one memorable scene, just yeah. something that stands out. I think this has two scenes and I think they're pretty epic. Like if you were doing a reel of great scenes in Westerns, I think this movie would have two of them. 
One of them is the bucket scene. So you talked about this, Sammy, and it's sort of the introduction of the mythos of Quigley. Mm -hmm. And that whole interaction when Alan Rickman says, oh, experimental ammunition, like, let's experiment. And you have this whole setup and watching everybody react to him just fixing his gun while that bucket's being, you know, 900 yards out. It's, it's so much fun and it establishes it. It's a great example of establishing your character through action. Um, and then the second thing is that final duel. I love the interaction of the final duel and Alan Rickman gives this little speech about, you know, some people are born in the right, wrong time. He was probably born in the wrong continent. And, uh, he basically says about, you know, by the way, you're fired, but Tom Selleck gives that classic line. I love it. This ain't Dodge city and you ain't bill Hickok. (laughs) <laughs> and you get that shootout and it's fantastic. And so yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, and you know, you get this one scene in the beginning, you get this one scene at the end and in between those two scenes is an adventure film, uh, with a great villain and some fun moments watching Quigley take out the bad guys and San Giacomo chewing up scenery. And I, I, that's a compliment. Um, this is what Roger Ebert said about, um, San Giacomo. And he, he thought the movie was like two and a half out of four stars or five stars, something like that. But he did have this to say about her. And I thought this was pretty cool. She isn't just another pretty face and a great set of eyebrows. She has an authority, a depth of presence that is attractive and her voice is deep and musical. She Mm. and Selleck create a chemistry that is real enough. It's a shame. The screenplay hardly notices it. Now I don't agree with that last part. Um, because I think the chemistry actually propels the film when the bullets aren't flying. But I, I think that's what this movie is. It's a, uh, it's probably a B grade. I'll, I'll call it a B plus grade Western. It's like that Twinkie that you have every once in a while, like the once a year Twinkie you go, I'm going to indulge. Right. Um, and I think it, it delivers on everything that it's trying to do. And Tom Selleck, I love the look of Tom Selleck. I love everything about this Matthew Quigley um, character. Uh, Alan Rickman, I would love more Alan Rickman, but at the same time, if you had more Alan Rickman, that might take away from the scenes uh, a little bit more. I mean, I always want more Alan Rickman, but every time I watch this film, I go, the scenes that he's in are perfect. Yeah, he's a scene stealer. He is. And I I think Sandy Okomo is a a scene stealer too. I'd like to see Alan Rickman maybe do something I know he's hunting like the aborigines and stuff like that, but I want to see him do something. Like I want to see how bad he is. Yeah. So that death like really pays off. Yeah. He's really like uh, corporate management, isn't he? He is. He he kills two guys in the beginning. Yeah. 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 He, I mean, he does establish and let uh, Quigley know that he means business. Yeah. And I, I, my favorite thing that he does is when he is talking, he's, he's really telling Matthew Quigley at the dinner table why he's really there. And he's sort of complimenting how we took care of the Indians in the U S and he says this phrase and I, it just oozes Alan Rickman is whatever that word is, right? It's totally evil, but he says, um, pacification by force. The way he says that phrase is just, it's chilling. It really is. It's, he's so good in that monologue. Uh, but again, it kind of goes to, you, you get to see just how ruthless, ruthless he is in the beginning. You get this charming bad guy-ness out of him during these scenes of him kind of pushing, you know, the, the help around. 
Um, and then you get this big duel at the end where he thinks that, you know, nobody is going to be able to beat him because he is the Bill Hickok of Australia. Yeah. Um, and it has a fantastic payoff. I mean, I really think the ending and, and how it plays out, it's there, it's through the whole thing. And, um, I mean, it's not like a stand up and cheer moment, but I was smiling every time I watch this film, I'm always smiling when you get to that resolution. Uh, but I love the chemistry um, with everybody in this film between Alan and Quigley, um, Quigley and Crazy Cora. I, I, everything about this film works for me. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess this movie's like if you're okay with eating McDonald's. Yeah, I, I, exactly. And and this is the thing: if you're going to McDonald's, like we all have that list of movies, right? That you go, well, these are my McDonald's films. This to me is like the best thing on the menu at a McDonald's for that particular genre. It, it's not the wild bunch. It's not the good, bad, and the ugly. It's not any of the films that we talked about in our three favorite Westerns. No, but I, I thought it was interesting when, and why I asked you that question, Brad, like to me, this doesn't belong in 1990. Like the reason why this bombed is a lot of people looked at Tom Selleck and said, that's a fading movie star, right? Outside of the three men and the baby, the big hit, but I can see why he transitioned to TV. And, uh, this film doesn't have a 1990s sensibility. It it has a classic B Western sensibility, which is why I would say that it wasn't going to succeed except for maybe home video and, and you know, like an older generation who grew up on those Westerns would yeah. really appreciate that. Yeah. 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 I'm baffled right. that they gave this movie $18 million. Like you can just like, come on, that's a bad investment. We all know that's a bad investment. Even with the, even, knowing what we know now, like $18 million for a Tom Selleck Western set in Australia. There's no chance. I, again, <clears throat> young guns too, I think did pretty good. Right. Uh, yeah, I believe it did. Better yeah, but that's a sequel. Movie. That's different. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just looking at the early nineties. You, you could be right. You could be right. I'm just, I'm looking at the Westerns that they were backing and um, they're really different. But when I look at Quigley Down Under versus all of these others, it, it doesn't fit. Like to, Let me ask you this. Does Tombstone have modern sensibilities from a Western perspective? I think so, yeah. I don't really recall any, though. Uh, like to, to see it again. Yeah, Tombstone to me fits in a, in a 1990s decade. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it, well, the only thing I don't like about Tombstone. It's much more is, contemporary than Quigley Down Under. Yeah, yeah I agree 100%. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about Tombstone is it feels like, like the whitest Western. <laughs> Well, yeah. It was the 90s. Like, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I know, but I'm just, I, I love it. I just, I don't know. I yeah, love the bad guys more in that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I, and maybe I'm totally wrong on this, but, and I, I probably, I haven't seen Tombstone in a while either. But when I think of Tombstone, I think of that as like a 90s action film. Mm. When I look at Quigley Down Under, I think of that as like a 60s or 70s Western. Yeah, so. I'm thinking about what you're saying here and what Brad's saying and stuff. And I'm thinking that maybe it's just that it just was a gamble. It was like, Hey, let's kick off this Western genre again. It's due to come back around. It's, it's built Hollywood horror and, and B movies build Hollywood. Right. Yeah. And, um, we're going to be the first ones. We can shoot this in Australia, probably make a buck off of it. We can get it cheap. Tom Selleck's not too expensive. Um, let's uh do it i don't know what 20 million is on average in 19 or 18 million is on an average in 1990 um it's not cheap change but it's not overly high either i think by then you're starting to get 100 million dollar movies 
certainly. Um, so I think it was just a gamble. I think that's exactly what it was. And I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, other countries' money as well. So I think, if I, I think Pathé pictures. Pat, yeah, Pathé or Pathé. Which I think is French, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Oh, at least it seems like it would be. Um, you know, I feel like it, it's like Spaghetti Westerns. They would just invest money. Other countries would just invest money in these foreign projects with the hopes it would kick something off. And that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I mean, they, they you know, again, they were doing a little bit of a bidding war between Disney and Warner Brothers. And so Pathé was like, we, we want this thing. So that totally makes sense to me. Um, it, it is a gamble. But it, it's just crazy to me. Like I said, this thing sticks out. Uh, when I think about movies that I went to the theater in the 1990 uh, of that year or in the early years and how many I continue to watch, like this one I continue to watch. I I think there's something special about a solid made genre picture. Yeah. Well, I think, too, that producers were always hoping, again, Tom Selleck would be bankable. I mean, a lot of people watch Magnum P.I. Yeah. And I think they always hoped that would translate. And it just really, it just never really did. No, it's true. uh, Watching this does make me lament like the B movie and how it's definitely not a thing anymore. You have like indie movies and then you kind of have your blockbusters and that's kind of the two, the two mediums you have. Well, the the B movie went to the streaming services. Yeah. Yeah, And that look, I want that communal part of of seeing a movie i want to have that experience i want to go in with a group of strangers and come out and we have one thing in common and that thing in common is we've seen a movie together um you can't get that on streaming no as much as like yeah we can share our thoughts and blah 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 i i want to walk into a movie theater and walk out with people and we have one thing in common now we saw that movie yeah and and it's like and, and just you know i i used to go to the movies and just see stuff and like you all did like just to see whatever and if it's a 20 million dollar western okay that's fine if it's a good movie it's a good movie and i don't think this movie is great and i mean i think it's totally adequate and fine mm-hmm. um but i still love this part of movies where you're just making movies to hey maybe we don't want to make a billion dollars off this movie we just want to make a movie yeah no i, I agree i mean i <laughs> i've been itching to go out to the movie theater again. Uh, and it, honestly, there's nothing that really interests me only because I am looking for that B film. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see dinosaurs right now. Um, I don't, what's the one coming out this weekend? Minions. It has Michelle. Yeoh. I might see that, uh, or her voice. <laughs> I, I think I'm obligated to do that. But uh, you know, when I, when I look at everything that's out there, it's kind of like, well, I'll go see top gun again. And, yeah. and probably my love for Top Gun is the fact that, and, and again, I totally agree with you, Sammy, that this thing has some dark elements, but I kind of think it ups the ante. Like for me, they're okay tonally because it, it just elevates what's going to happen um, in, in that vengeance aspect. Yeah. But I, I do miss this whole just classic storytelling. Give me a story, the hero, the bad guy. Uh, we're going on a mission. We're, we're going to go do this. Boom. And, and maybe that's why Top Gun Maverick resonates with me so much is that movie stands out versus everything else that's out there right now. And ha- actually everything that's been out there for a few years. Yeah. Um, and even why I liked Don Lee's The Roundup um, this year is because same kind of thing. 
it's a cops and robbers story. Like when was the last time we had a really good sort of fun cops and robbers story? Well, um, I mean, other countries tend to take genre pictures more seriously, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think that's um, you know where my love of cinema is right now is in other countries. But um, no, I I think Quigley Down Under. I this is this is a type of movie that probably gets released on a Netflix or Amazon Prime right now. It's not going to be released in the theater. Yeah, which is sad. Um, but you know what? I, hey, a good wherever you find it, a good a good genre film is a good genre film. Yeah, yeah. It, I I agree with that. I'm just there's a part of me that going to the theater is a special experience. I, I 100% agree I've gone with you. Yes, one time or a hundred times, going to the movies is special. No, I I, I just <laughs> I went to the Mahoning Drive-in in Pennsylvania and sat out for till 4 a.m. watching three James Bond films. And when I watched Quigley Down Under, my immediate reaction was, I would have loved to have seen this at the drive-in. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Brad, not, I mean, like he said, McDonald's, I don't think that's a bad critique of the film because for him, I see that. Yeah. I think, you know, for us, we probably, me and you, we rushed out to theaters to see this. Yes. Um, There's just not this kind of movie being made now. And if it is, like we said, it's going to streaming and everything else, or it's going to come to streaming relatively quickly. So what's the point of going out and spending 50 bucks when I can just stay home and in a couple of weeks, it's going to be out anyway, and I'll just watch it at home. And I don't, I don't think that's a slight against the movie because I think it is in a lot of ways, a perfectly adequate Western. I just don't think, I think that our love of Troy and I, our kind of love or, or whatever we have for Tom Selleck, I think may take it that one step over. Oh, it elevates it. I love Tom Selleck. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where the difference maker is because like I said, Brad liked the movie, but he didn't. And and he said, he said so early when he said, yeah, I think Tom Selleck's perfectly adequate. <laughs> well, that, that, that says a lot because he's in the majority of the movie. And if you can't really buy in, you know, um, it's like watching a Charles Bronson movie and not being a Charles Bronson fan. Then, it's, it's not going to be a good movie to you because but that would have been something glamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in 1990, Bronson could have made this movie if he wanted Eleven. to. <laughs> I would yeah. love that. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, once, once you see the character of Matthew, Charlie Quigley, down under would have been a fucking dope movie. Charlie down under. I like that. <laughs> no, if, if you, I just get excited every time I see that, that character, that whole wardrobe, his, his mannerisms. I mean, it's a cool character. I, I would have loved to have seen like more Matthew Quigley movies. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to, I mean, he made some more stuff with Simon Winter. It's pretty good. They're yeah. TV movies, but they're, they're pretty they're good. good. Westerns. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think this, this film does do like scope correctly too. Like it's not going for, it knows exactly what it is, right? Like yeah. it, it know, maybe the tone is a little bit all over the place, but it's still, got its scope correct and it knows exactly what it's going for. It goes, they know in 1990 that dads are going to take their sons to this because they want to get them into to Westerns or whatever. Like they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. I, I do have a question. So there is one pivotal scene at the end of the film. They tell you like no animals were harmed, blah, 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 blah. Cause mm. there looks like there's a ton of animal violence. There's not. But, but there's one scene, and we kind of talked about the scene um, with them kind of pushing people over the cliff. But there's that cutaway where the guy is on the horse, and you see him and the horse go through. Yeah. And for the longest time, I'm like, dude, they threw a horse over the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I mean, that's a 
It's mechanical. It's a mechanical horse, yeah. Yeah, it's a great dummy horse. I mean, it's, it it's looks one of the best so dummy real. <laughs> I know they put it that does. they put that uh, no no animals were harmed during the making of this film pretty quick because I think well after the you know it, it ends people are probably like horses died at this movie right they're like no no we promise yeah you got to remember they just they did they just shut that down like ten years before and Heaven's Gate was partly responsible for yeah. that so yeah that's right they uh you know that was only ten years before this or ten or. 12 years before this so they started shutting that stuff down but in some countries hollywood would still go to some countries i.e italy in the 60s and 70s and they they had no regard for that kind of stuff so um i think in some countries you could probably still get away with it to be honest with you well it if we were grading films or giving an award for greatest horse dummy of all time, I this think wins, we, yes. this wins hands. I can't think of another horse dummy that is as good as that because I always gasp like that horse is just really going off the cliff, but it's not. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's it pretty is. good. Uh, any other thoughts? Closing thoughts on this one? Um, just a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I found that I was uncomfortable with Aboriginal nudity, and I don't know why that was. Maybe it's because I've had children. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I was feeling awkward. Really. Yeah, I don't know why. You I've never felt you that did way. Did not read enough Native National Native. Geographic. Yeah, National magazines. Geographic is. Oh, look, I've yeah, never watched that never, in Like I've never felt that way. <laughs> really? Uh, just Sammy, Sammy blushing. Wow, I've. Yeah. Not, I've I'm would have. This is not the movie I would have thought yeah. that you would be blushing was, on. But okay, yeah. I was clutching my pearls a little. Clutching bit. pearls. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, wow. Okay. Well, I'm mother, glad. there's nudity. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, I'm going to start with you, Sammy. Ask the question, 1990s Quigley Down Under, is it a bomb? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's a very good uh, B-Western. I just don't think the audiences in America or the world really were, they were as big as I think the producers thought Tom Selleck was. Mm-hmm. And I think they really tried to push him. I mean, in the 80s and the early 90s, they really gave it a go with him. I mean, because he's, he's a good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his mustache and his eyebrows look similar. But he's a good-looking dude, and uh, I think they really tried to push him as this kind of old-school movie hero, and unfortunately, it just didn't work, uh, box office-wise. Right. I think for me personally, you know, we uh, me and Todd reviewed Runaway last year, and I really enjoyed going back and watching Runaway. And uh, again, his other films, I like Lassiter and High Road China and even Folks, which is about his parents having dementia, uh-huh. real broad comedy. It's really insane. I can't even believe they made that movie. It's like totally politically incorrect now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just, I think it's, I think it's a very solid Western. I just think the world was fading from Westerns, whether we like it or not. And I think Clint Eastwood brought it back a little bit, a little later, but I think it was just, uh, it was going away. Yeah, but I don't think it's a bomb. No, I think it should be seen. I think more people should see it. Okay. All right. Brad. Quigley down under. Is it a bomb? <sighs> I am very torn. Because <laughs> I don't know if I would have the will to watch this again. Mm. And it's not that it's like bad. It's just like if I want a Western, there's 50 more that I would put in front of this. Yeah. Even for the two hour the runtime. Um, and I'm not like Tom Selleck stopped pulling me in. Um, but it's not a bad movie. It's not, it's not a bad movie. So I guess it's not a bomb because I, it's, it's, it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie, but it's okay to be an okay movie. Um, it's totally fine. 
So yeah, I'll go with not a bomb. Okay. If you were to ask me tomorrow, I might change my mind, but as of right now, it's not. Well, I'm taking that win right there. Okay. And I'm going to agree with both of you. It's definitely not a bomb. Uh, I, I just love this film. Um, I, and it's, it's just one of those that I will rep for over and over again because I could sit there and go, look, you got two amazing scenes in it that most films just die for one of these scenes. It's got two. Yeah. And the chemistry and everything between um, Tom and Laura on screen is, is so much fun to watch. And I love Tom Selleck. Uh, yeah. I, I think we've kind of talked about this before about, you know, movie stars. And I would have loved to have seen Tom Selleck, you know, be a movie star. I know he's yeah. a TV star. And yeah. he's done, you know, a lot of great work on there. But I, I really wish this had been the film that just made um, him just take off and, and do more stuff instead of go yeah. back to the, you know, to the small screen. Yeah. 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 And I want to, you know, I didn't talk about it much in my part of the review, but I just want to say again, Laura Sanji Giacomo, she is, for me, she is breathtaking. Yes. Like I, I find her to be a very beautiful lady. And um, yeah, I just, I love when I see her. She's, I'm always happy. And what I love about this film is she is this, I don't know, she's a tornado on screen because that's her character, but it there's an authenticity to it and she's having fun with it and she's chewing up. You just don't see female actresses um, take their performances up to that caliber and pull it off and chew up scenery in the way that she does. I, I think she's one of the bright spots to this film. She's as much right. fun to watch on this as, as the action and stuff. Yeah. They'd be too self-conscious on how they would look doing so. Yeah. She, she has, I mean, I think the comedy in this is really good because of her and having like uh, Tom Selleck as a straight man. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, at moments I think I'm going to get tired of this crazy core character, but I never do. I, yeah. I generally have this tender feeling toward her. Well, I just, I was getting a little bit tired of her and then she kind of shifts kind of more to yeah. like a mom ish. Yeah. I think that was very smart because well, I think tells, they tells that awful story, right? Yeah. yeah. That yeah. humanizes her and, and it makes you understand her possible kind of break with reality. Yep. Yeah. And I, I love, so we've talked about the shootout. I love the ending. I love how they get back together. Um, his little call back to her craziness. I, it's it's a nice little poetic poetic ending for that character transition. What yeah. did, what did we think the two words were going to be? Can I tell you mine? Yeah, go ahead. Butt stuff. <laughs> oh my god. Mine was uh, pouch fingering. Pouch fingering. Yeah, I thought Matthew. Let me get quickly. that roux, baby. Let me get that roux. <laughs> uh, wait, blooming onion. That was hers. Oh, is that is that what the terms <laughs> for when you do that to a kangaroo? It's called a blooming onion. <laughs> I definitely would like to see her blooming onion. No doubt about it. Yeah. So every time I have to go to Outback Steakhouse and order a blooming onion, I'd be like, "Did you know?" <laughs> this looks like Lorsan Giacomo's uterus. <laughs> oh my god! All right. Hey, look, I'm gonna go right into listener feedback. Uh, we had somebody send something in, and it's from our good friend Michael. He says, hello there, not a bombers. Just wanted to chime in with a few thoughts about the Punisher movies. I love the Dolph Lundgren film. It's ridiculously violent and one of the better 80s action flicks. We agree with you, Michael. The 2004 film is perhaps the most grounded of the three. It doesn't get into super violence into the last 20 minutes. It's more of a slow burn film which bursts with bursts of action which I appreciate rather than going gun ho. And if we're talking about Travolta's hammy acting, I think the actress that plays his wife out hams him even more. <laughs> Warzone is by far the most violent of the three. It's what I call squirty violence with blood spraying everywhere with sound effects to match. 
What spoils it for me is Jigsaw. Everyone is playing it super straight except for Jigsaw and his brother. I agree with that. It's a good film nonetheless. Of the three, Dolph version is my favorite. Agree. Uh, followed by the 2004 film, then Warzone. <laughs> is it Rebecca Romaine Stamos, his wife in that movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that 2004 one is an absolute piece of yeah. garbage. Except for John Travolta. I, yeah, I don't know if it's garbage. I I rank it as the third one. But I hey, well, look, I maybe get, not maybe not garbage. I watched the whole thing, so I yeah. guess it's not garbage. Um as always, keep up the good work. Yeah, so, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. I very, appreciate very it, Mike. I'm, I'm here every week. So thank you, Mike. <laughs> we love it. Well, Brad, what are we talking about next week? Yeah, so next week is a pretty interesting movie, and I'm really excited to revisit it. It is 1985's Walt Disney production film. It is the Black Cauldron. Wow. The film that almost bankrupt uh, Walt Disney. Really? I saw that movie in theater. I've never seen it. Never. Whoa, really? Never. Wow. Putting that's, It almost put cool. Disney animation in jeopardy. Okay. I can't yeah. wait to research and learn about this one. That's going to be interesting. Have you never seen it? I, I just said, are you, you oh. have not paid attention at all tonight. <laughs> you are. Oh, my God. Sorry, play that one up. We're, yeah, whatever. We're rabbit. Brad, how do they get a hold of us if they want to share their thoughts on Quigley Down Under or any of the films that we talked about and maybe even recommend some more bombs? Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com. You can head over to notabombpodcast.com and hit the contact us button. Leave us a suggestion there. Or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah, if you want to and you feel that we are worthy, Please leave us a review on whatever uh, podcast app you use or you listen to the show on. Um, if there's one that we're not on and you want us to be on, please let us know that as well. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Sammy, nice. what's going on over at the Gentleman's Guide? I, I just uh, am listening to the latest, which uh, I, I got to say, um, your your communist partner there, Will, and his take on <laughs> Top Gun, I, I thought it was actually pretty funny. I. I think yeah. he has a very interesting, I would even say accurate take on that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm, I can't disagree with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't disagree with him. I can't. I mean, that, it's, it's, that. It's, yeah. That's pretty it's a valid. It's a valid point. It's super valid. Yeah. But uh, um, uh, we're just plowing along, man. What we do, we uh, just keep on going, trying to find movies and uh, talk about movies that, uh, well, we kind of go for the hard to find movies and then we kind of just like talking about anything. So, Next week, we got, uh, well, this week, like the one you're talking about, we talked about Violent Streets, which mm -hmm. is a Hideo Gosha Yakuza film. And then next week, we're doing The Nickel Rod, which is a 1974 American crime film directed by Robert Mulligan. A very underseen American crime film um, that uh, well, you'll just have to listen to us talk about it, see what we think about it. But yeah, there's a lot more movies out there, folks, than just the, uh, the five or ten they release a week. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. I, oh, go ahead. I'm excited to to. to uh, hear that because i i just watched it last night because the i knew Nickel you wanted to do it yep yeah oh, okay for the first time so i'm excited to hear what you all say nice yeah the the, the best compliment i can give to the gentleman's guide is a, a great example is the italian police crime genre i knew nothing about and your podcast does an amazing job um of just going through all the genres of film you have great banter. It's it's just fun to listen to you guys. But more importantly, I'm always learning something. I'm learning something about that genre, that filmmaker, that film. 
uh, listening to your podcast is like going to film school, but a really fun film school. Yeah. I mean, we would never claim to be scholars, but, uh, you know, we're two guys that love movies. Yeah. And, you, uh, you've opened my eyes to things I've never even considered, but once I yeah. hear you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, I, I've got to go learn about that and watch it. And to me, that's the, the biggest compliment we can get. I mean, if it makes people watch something that, you know, they never would have tried otherwise. I mean, that's a good thing, right? I mean, yeah. the, the world of movies is, is vast. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Almost Human. Like, I, I only watched Almost Human because of you guys. Yeah. They, they, that's that's the important part to me. I don't want people to forget those great movies of the past. Mm-hmm. Along with the great I mean, I love new movies, too. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I go to the movies every weekend if I could, and I'd probably watch every new release. <laughs> it would be nice if you could review some movies that I own, because every time you review, I got to go out <laughs> well, and buy it. Too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. got to stop that. Just uh, just so you get a heads up, Nickel Ride is only available on like YouTube, but you can get it on DVD um, with uh, 99 or 44 and 100% dead, I think. The John Frankenheimer film, I think. I think it, it's a Scream Factory uh, double disc release. Ooh, the doubles. Ooh. Yeah. That's the only way you can get it. How nobody's put the Nickel Ride out, I have no idea. Guess I'm going shopping. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty cheap right now. Okay. So, and I think he's going to go out of print soon too. So, oh, I'll snag it. Uh, anything else, Brad? No. Um, yeah, this one comes out after the Fourth of July. So, America, hell yeah, America. Yeah, you know, this is a great time to be. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a complicated time. It, yes, it is. It is a messy time. It is messy. Anyway. People, again, I'll, I will say this. People forget. We're still a very young country. We are. We got a long way to go. We're like in that awkward teens yeah. right now. Yeah. We just hit we puberty. Don't. We don't know what yeah. to do with all this hair. We're, yeah. Uh, our balls are like finally dropping. <laughs> and we're like, what is going on? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We we're lashing started, out. We just started tagging them blooming onions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Send us some feedback. Come back next week when we talk about the Disney film that almost broke Disney. I'm excited. It's going to be first time watch for me. We'll check you next week. Don't lose your head. Good day.